0: Full tiger country. Get to the top of it, throw a bag in, and you know, wait for the charge to go off. It goes off and it's like, oh, that's a big avalanche. Oh, that's a size four. Oh wow. That just went across the valley. This is Greg Johnson, and you're listening to the Avalanche Hour podcast.
1: you are tuned into another episode of the avalanche hour podcast i'm your host caleb merrill the avalanche hour podcast is proudly presented by mnd safety a global leader in avalanche hazard management and our good friends at 10 barrel brewing drink beer outside with additional support from interwest insurance the goal of this podcast is to create a stronger community through the sharing of stories knowledge and news amongst people who have a curious fascination with Appalachians. I hope everybody's doing well out there, and I hope you have plenty of nice, soft snow to recreate in and mostly stable conditions. Uh, plenty of places have been dealing with persistent slab and deep persistent slab problems this season, and if you're in one of those places, hopefully you're starting to turn the corner on that. Although can never really turn your back on that sort of avalanche problem especially this season so hopefully you're managing your uncertainty through nice safe terrain choices that have big margins in case you're wrong and choosing your groups wisely to go recreate out into the backcountry with or maybe you're uh continuing to do battle with the white dragon at a ski resort and uh Hope everybody's just staying safe out there, trying to make the best decisions we can with the best information that we have. Anyhow, um, I'm really excited to share a great interview with you today. Um, I sat down with Greg Johnson earlier this fall, and Greg talked about his career and some of the things that he's done with his time in the Snow and Avalanche Arena, Uh, culminating in the creation of his his engineering company six point engineering that has its hands in a lot of really cool projects up in in british columbia Um, and so we're going to jump right into that interview but first i'd like to give a big thanks as always to the supporters of the show mnd safety 10 barrel brewing and interwest insurance can't do it without you guys And with that, we're going to jump right into a great interview with Greg Johnson of Six Point Engineering. Here we go. Greg, stoked to get you on the show this morning. Welcome. Thank you. Where are you calling from? Nelson, British Columbia. All right. What's the, I guess this is, uh the 7th of November here that we're recording, and what's
0: the weather doing up there these days? Well, it's certainly transitioning to winter. Um, we, uh, we had an early start. Uh, it warmed up, and, and now it's, it's definitely uh, coming back in.
1: Right, right, right. Well, Greg, um, you certainly have a diverse background in your career in the snow and avalanche world. I was hoping you could back it up a little bit and talk about where you're from you know what what growing up looked like for you and and what's the background in the snow and avalanche arena
0: yeah i uh, i grew up in the western suburbs of chicago and uh it you know i mean as you could imagine it was it was a pretty uh you know middle class type upbringing um you know it was into the the normal uh you know sports that sort of stuff kind of more on the skateboarding end of things and that really transitioned me over to um snowboarding and i I got my first snowboard when i was 16 um and uh you know went up to a a ski hill in in northern illinois and uh learned to learn to ride uh, a snowboard and that really um it grabbed me and um i this is all I really wanted to do. And so I ended up doing a few years of of college in Michigan. And uh, all I could think about was, you know, heading west where the mountains were big. And we'd make trips out to, you know, Colorado and, you know, sleep in our cars and camp and, you know, just just immerse yourself in, in that sort of thing, like on spring breaks or Christmas breaks or whatever else. And then, and then uh I ended up moving to the Seattle area, I have family there. And um, you know, just really again, just all of a sudden there's the Cascade Mountains and Snow Palmy Pass and you know, it just started snowballing and then, you know, it'd say probably this would have been about the mid nineties, and that's when I, you know, figured out what powder was and wanted to ride the backcountry and lo and behold that was you know that was kind of the, the the main direction of my life. I ended up uh graduating from school at Washington State University uh, with a degree in engineering um, but uh didn't really to be frank all I wanted to do was snowboard and, and climb at that point and uh I didn't really want to get a job and so i I was looking around, uh, when I was at Washington state, uh, there was a professor there, um, a guy named Dave stock and Dave is, is, uh, Joe stocks, um, dad and Mm. Joe's a, you know, is a mountain guide in, in, uh, up in Alaska. And, and really I was like, wow, you know, your, your kid is, is going to graduate school and studying snow, you know, snow avalanches. Like you can do that. And, and the light flipped on for me. It was an avenue to, you know, um, to merge, you know, academics and this desire just to be in the mountains. And so I started looking at graduate schools and it was, it was an interesting experience, you know, like in the States, you got to, Take a uh you know these standardized tests and all that. And I bombed them, you know, I didn't do well. I remember going to Montana State and those guys looking at my test scores and just like, who is this guy? You know, like, oh geez. My grades were all right, but you know, it was just like, oh man. And um I had the opportunity to uh come up and and wow, there's this 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 program at the University of Calgary. Um, and this, you know, this this uh this fellow Bruce Jameson was you know forming this this research program Um, he had it going but he was he had gotten his PhD and he was looking to you know uh, get uh, students and I went up to see him and it was like wow this is this is super cool I'd already done a ski trip up to you know Rogers Pass in that area and kind of knew it um, and was like oh this is kind of neat and I remember like they accepted me because you didn't have to do the standardized testing or anything. My grades looked fine, you know, good references or whatever. Um, and I remember saying to Bruce, like, yeah, I think I'm just going to take a year off. And, and, you know, I just all I really I didn't want to do more academics, really. I just wanted to play around. And he just said, you know, there's a spot for you here. You should really come. And that opportunity was really uh, monumental, Uh, reflecting back it was the it was the gateway to really a career in the mountains and I went up to or I came up to Canada and was lucky enough to be a part of his program and in those days this was the late 90s um, we lived at Rogers Pass um, and we skied around and measurements of the snow. We just observed snow and we observed avalanches. We got to work with mountain guides. We got to work with the avalanche program at Rogers Pass. Um, and the exposure to that was, it was cool. Um, you know, you just get to see lots of neat and interesting things. And then, um, from there, after I, I, I graduated from there, that was two years. Um, uh, again, it was like, Oh man, what am I going to do? And I, I started applying, uh, for jobs in the U S cause it was like, Oh, it's going to be tough to stay up here in Canada. And, and the, you know, I, I, you know, met people, uh, more people, guys like Carl Berkland and that in the U S and just kind of, you know, networking and doing that. And it was around the time, it was just before the Olympics at Salt Lake, and, um, Bruce Tremper ended up hiring me at the Utah Avalanche Center, um, for, and I, I, worked there for two years. It was, it wasn't out of Salt Lake. It was in, uh, Northern Utah in, in Logan. Mm-hmm. And so worked up there, uh, for a couple years. And then, uh, that was a, that was a term position with the forest service and, um, they, they lost funding after the, the Olympics and they, uh, they actually reoffered me the job, but it, you know, without benefits or something like that. And I was like, ah, you know, screw this. And, and so then I ended up going and working for the forest service in Ketchum and I spent two years in Ketchum, Idaho, um, which is a super cool place in the world and really interesting avalanche problems and, uh, worked with uh, Janet Kellum and Doug Abermite. And, and that was a, just a super cool experience as well. Um, learned a lot about I think in reflecting back, learned a ton about the snow there, just, you know, basically how depth tour works. Um, and yeah, you just, yeah, it was really neat. Um, and then I had the opportunity to, uh, come back up to Canada. Um, I got a job with the, uh, at the time it was the Canadian avalanche center. Now it's avalanche Canada. And, um, and I ended up working with them for six years. And um, in the meantime, you know, I started guiding. Um, I was working for the National Park Service as well as a climbing ranger. Spent a little bit of time with uh, Mount Rainier and then in Rocky Mountain National Park. And um, it was really just kind of living that life. And then I'd say mid-2000s, somewhere around there, I started thinking to myself, like, the avalanche thing's pretty cool, but I gotta, I gotta make a better living too. And, uh, you know, you just, those jobs don't pay a whole lot. So I, I was going, well, I, I did get an engineering degree and, and, uh, maybe I should, maybe I should start reengaging in that. And, and, uh, so I did and started working as an engineer. Um, and I was going back and forth between Canada and the U S at that point. Um, got my first engineering job down in Colorado, um, in Ridgeway spent nine months down there. It was again, just a awesome community. Um, and, and then just finally, you know, immigrated to, to, to Canada, just, uh, just thought, well, I spent enough time up here, bought a house, uh, was like, oh man, I gotta, I gotta lay some, some stronger roots down and, and did that. And, um, yeah been here ever since um and you know lived in Revelstoke, stoke was working for avalanche canada and then around 2010 I, I i frankly i think i burned out of the whole you know avalanche center world and public bulletin world that sort of thing it, it just it wasn't doing it for me anymore and um and then uh so I, I kind of focused on engineering and guiding. And uh, just, you know, up, up north in Canada, there's a lot of opportunity for guiding. You, you know, if you, if you dedicate yourself towards that, there's, you can mix it up every year between heli skiing and cat skiing and ski touring. And, and that's what I did. Uh, it was great. Um, started uh, doing some work with a, a friend of mine who, who owns a company called Dynamic Avalanche Consulting. Um, he's now my, one of my main competitors, but he's, he's a great, uh, a great fella, Alan Jones and, um, did a little bit of work for him. And then, and then I started picking up my own, my own stuff and it, it didn't really start in the, in the core snow avalanche side of things. It, it started right away with, um, Gazex, uh, system design, so, uh, not necessarily the first job I did but that wasn't necessarily the you know the layout. Um, it was it was more the foundation design, and so that was kind of my start. And then it just snowballed from there. So I started a company, Six Point Engineering, um, in 2014, and that's been my my main stick ever since.
1: Wow, Greg, what a diverse array of experiences leading to the culmination of you starting your own company, um, from your educational background to forecasting, both in the United States and Canada, and then and then the guiding work that you've done. I can imagine you have a pretty good perspective all the way around, um, from the public side of things to private industry as well. Um, Thanks. Thanks for giving us that rundown of your career. I, I'd like to hear a little bit more about um, Six Point Engineering and and some of the projects that you all work work on, and and some of your some of the ins and outs of your team and and the diverse abilities that your team members bring to the table.
0: Yeah, it's um, it's been a it's been an interesting ride. Um, the the I would say the the climate in British Columbia for um, industrial projects private projects um, has you know gone through the the roof in the last ten years um, and so there's there's been a lot of opportunity um, we originally just you know it was it, as all companies starts basically yourself and and uh, you know we or I. Um, you know, just started out slow doing more of the engineering side of it. The, um, you know, the, uh, you know, risk assessments and, 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 and then also just, you know, kind of some, some core engineering projects, you know, but focused more on the, on the steep side of a mountain. Um, that's where, you know, that's my habitat. That's where I like to be. Um, and then, uh, a few years back, um, I had the opportunity to, engage um in in an avalanche program itself and we're we're still working on that job it it it, it's actually it's it's probably going to be the biggest job i ever do in my career Um, it's a big one and uh and so it's that in itself it's been a tremendous amount of work but it's it's been stressful but it's also been extremely gratifying and um we've built a team now we've got it we got a number of different avalanche control projects on the go um and as well as, you know, kind of the engineering side and we've got a team now of about a dozen people. Um, you know, some some folks are part time seasonal, some folks are are, you know, salaried, um, that sort of thing. So it's it it's it's neat. It's it yeah, it's just a lot of fun.
1: Greg, guess give, give us a little bit of context to some of these projects. You know, every job must have a story behind it, probably I would imagine something to do with the crossroads of natural hazard and life and or infrastructure um maybe like lay out a a couple of these backstories
0: yeah i mean so you know a lot of these 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 projects we work on are you know they're they're i kind of joke they're the black earth projects you know they're they're the big mines and you know hydroelectric you know jobs and you know that sort of thing but there's uh, there's areas in in British in British Columbia, specifically like the mining side of things, you know, where you've um, you got a lot of gold in the ground. People want to go get it, and 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 that those areas tend to be, you know, in the big mountains, the big coastal mountains, and with it comes the interaction of of snow avalanches um and you know that's that's just one example of it the other the other you know kind of backstories on some of these projects are like the um the trans canada highway for example it's still a two-lane highway in, in some areas it's not a you know it's not this beautiful four-lane freeway which you see in the in the u.s and so there's just ongoing works to do upgrades on you know on it um other roads as well and and they you know they they call on contractors to to do that work. And the contractors are, are, then responsible for, you know, providing an avalanche safety program for their workers and, and that sort of thing. Um, so you've got this interaction, this classic interaction between people and in the mountains and, and inherently you're going to have, you know, snow avalanche risk. The other piece to the puzzle that's kind of unique is, is the, um, there's a, there's a government agency up here. It's a, it's what we call a crown corporation. So it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a company that the, the uh, the government owns and runs. It's it's kind of like a utility type thing. It's labor and industries. It's called WorkSafe BC, and they, and they're they're a they're the you know kind of a regulator and a, and a worker insurer, and and they uh, they've set some pretty stringent um, requirements um, for snow avalanches. And so what's, what that's caused uh, industry to do is they have to respond legally to that. They have to have an avalanche safety plan. They have to, they have to do an avalanche risk assessment. Um, and, and that's a really good thing because, you know, our industry, and when I mean our industry, I mean our community of professional workers, we're really good at, at doing um, that sort of thing. It's, it's what we do. Um, but when you step outside of that, and you start to work with these, you know, bigger companies, it could be railways, they can be, they can be uh, big multinational, you know, mining companies or, or or hydroelectric companies like BC Hydro or whatever. They may they may or may not have a good grasp of that, um, and and so that that regulatory thing helps us um, move down that road of of, of doing our work. Um, as you know, as you, th- there's a number of, of, of private avalanche forecast and control program providers up here, um, in BC. Um, you know, if you're, if, 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 you're a, you know, you're a professional and you've got some, you've got some experience and you've got the know with how, and you want to start a business and get insurance and do all that kind of stuff. Um, you can give it a go. And, and that's pretty cool, I think. Um, so it's, uh, I, what I'm trying to, you know, I, I guess kind of, you know, lay out is, is that it's a, it's a pretty, that side of the avalanche business in British Columbia is actually sizable. Um, there's lots and lots and lots of stuff happening in the private sector, Mm -hmm. um, outside of, you know, the, the, the ski industry um the industrial industry is 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 quite thriving and it's 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 big um we you know one of our main programs um is is in an area called Kamano which is um south of uh south of of Kitimat British Columbia and Kamano is uh it's it's an interesting place in the world it it um it it's an area where they generate, um, it's a hydroelectric facility that powers, that almost solely powers an aluminum smelter. Hmm. And the, the project was conceived back in the 1950s where they, uh, they, they dammed up uh, the Nechaco River, a, a river system on the east side of the coast range um, with seven different dams. And then they drilled a tunnel through the mountains, and it's a pretty wild 16-kilometer-long tunnel, uh, drill and blast, uh, you know, right through these mountains. And there on the west side, um, there, is a, uh, there is a hydroelectric facility. Um, and it's all underground. Uh, it generates about, you know, I think it's about 800, 850 megawatts or something like that. And then the, uh, the transmission line from there um, goes about 80 kilometers or 50 miles up over the mountains, um, to the smelter. And to build that project, um, you're just smack in avalanche country. Um, there was a fatality, um, on the project, um, in the fifties. What was really interesting about it is, is, um, this random fellow that worked on the, you know, his dad worked on the project. He's an older guy now, um, it was one of those, those kind of those random Facebook things you join, you know, of of the old timers just to listen to what they have to say. And he sent me this news clipping of, Hey, did you know about this fatality? And it was like, I had no idea. Um, went back and checked avalanche accidents. It wasn't, it wasn't anywhere. Um, you know, asked a a few key people in Canada, like, Hey, is there any records of this? And it was like, Nope, there's nothing. Hmm. And so it was like, wow. Okay. So when they were building it, you know, Um, There was a fatality. And uh, and then right after they finished it, the the electrical, the the electric transmission line was wiped out. Um, Five towers were gone the first winter. And, um, you know, it's been for them, it's been um, a struggle ever since, you know, keeping that transmission line uh, going. Uh, they've had to do some really neat things, like uh, build these, you know, cross suspended cross rope systems, catenaries, or these, you know, three four thousand foot span wires across mountain valleys that then they hang the the electrical lines on just to avoid the the snow avalanche problem. And and that was done. The first one was built back in the in the fifties, and the second one was built in um, in and two thousand nine. And now what they're doing for their facilities are upgrading their hydroelectric facility. So they're, they're twinning the, this, the, the single tunnel that they had, um, drilled. Um, now they're, they're twinning that tunnel and the access to drill that tunnel is up a mountain Valley. It's, it's 11 kilometers up the Valley, seven kilometers of it is, is, is avalanche train and it's, it's full tiger country. Um, and, uh, the the main worksite, um, and you can find it on Google Earth if you know where you're looking. Um, the the main worksite is is in the runout of a, a very large avalanche path, and so you know there's there's a bit of history there um, with you know with with that infrastructure and avalanches. Um, the the owner um, knew that they needed to mitigate avalanches and you know had retained a local consultant um to to do some of the work and then he got a hold of me because it was more when i first started with this project it was it's more like okay well you're you're going to take care of the engineering side and then we're going to do the control side it was like yeah great man i mean it's going to be one hell of a program for you man wow go get her and and we um so we, we took care of the engineering side. What I mean by that is, is that we built a to protect where you go underground. It's called an adit. Um, we built a, we built an avalanche stopping wall uh, out of gabion baskets. That's is about eight and a half nine meters high, and it's about 140 meters long. Um, and it's it's a unique structure. It's 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 super cool. Um, it was it was really neat to to you know work on that um to de- my company designed it and then we we oversaw the construction management of it, it was really neat and then we at the same time we we did the same thing with um a gazx system and we we installed 11 gazx um to help protect that work site itself um and so we you know we were we were designing that sort of stuff and then Greg, and, if uh, I could just if I could just interject yeah.
1: here and, and yeah. just maybe point the listeners to your website because there are really some really cool images that I think kind of go along with what you're talking about here. So six point ENG, that's the number six p o i n t e n g dot com and you can you can actually see images of these Gabians and then um, I believe some of the Gazex installations. If you go, to yeah,
0: projects. And I I actually forgot we also built a a. a very large, um, avalanche diversion berm up there as well, uh, to help direct, you know, uh, avalanches to a certain magnitude, mm. um, you know, away from, from critical infrastructure. And, you know, it's a, it's a pile of rock, but what's interesting about it is we oversteepened the sides and that required a bit of design work. Mm-hmm. Um, we did that to reduce volumes and to, you know, to, to reduce the footprint. Um, so there was quite a bit of thought and um, design work that kind of went into the layout. And, you know, during the design phase, we, you know, it was like, okay, well they're going to get going on, you know, rebuilding the road up this Valley and, you know, doing stuff like that. And the, the, the avalanche, the, the consultant that brought me in, he he pulled out and, and um, so the company asked me like, what, you know, can you do this? And it was like, well, sure. And, um, so we engaged, you know, a a few years ago with this one. And, um, what's funny about it is, is, uh, we, uh, do all this work. It's just a big mad rush setting this program up. It's, you know, you're going like hell. It's all last minute. And, um, you know, we get a helicopter in there and we've got a magazine and we've got our explosives and, and, uh, you know, we, just you know, still trying to you know really look you know you don't know the terrain really so we we go out with four twenty five kilogram bags of Ampo, which is I think about fifty seven pound bags the big ones the full bags and and uh, it's like okay well just throw a shot in there see what happens you know and it's like ah snow doesn't look like it's going to do anything and lo and behold just blow a blow a hole in the snow and it's like okay well ooh there's a big huge path across the valley there that one big monster, you know, it's about 5000 vertical feet in length and the thing is just steep as hell and get to the top of it and throw a bag in and you know, wait for the charge to go off. It goes off and it's like, "Oh, that's a big avalanche." "Oh, that's a size 4." "Oh wow, that just went across the valley and and it's like, "Okay, this is this is what we're playing with here." And um these things will kill you. You know, this these are killers. Um there's 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 no getting around it, and that spring, I mean, it was an unmodified snowpack. So that spring, we um, we had 14 of those big avalanches, size fours, and uh, it it just kind of it, it 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 is almost mesmerizing to see it. It it's uh, it changes your perspective when when you're engaged in a in terrain and a program like that and um and then it also gets you thinking a little bit about what have i actually engaged with here you know like there's a lot of risk here this is the real deal this is not you know th- this is this is a really risky um program and and i, I mean as you can imagine you know you, you sit there and you you, you hum in the haw over it but um you know for example like last season we uh in it, it's interesting i'll back up a little bit with new programs you don't know the train that well mm. you have to you know you have to go after it harder than you would if you had spent 20 years somewhere sure um and and i remember hearing a talk a, quite some time ago it was liam fitzgerald was talking about his early days in snowbird and they had pumped an ungodly amount of rounds with the howitzer into in, into that ski hill you know and it, quickly over time you start to sort it, figure it out and you you don't have to shoot that much. Um, and so we're, you know, we're very much still in that phase of, of, of sorting it out. But I think, I think last year we threw nearly a thousand bags out the door of the helicopter and it ended up being almost, almost 25,000 kilograms of Ampo, um, in that Valley and which is a lot. Um, and, uh, we, you know, you, you get to see, you get to see some pretty wild things. Um, we had, uh, you know, we we had a deep slab instability last year, and that's a that's a beast to deal with when you're when you're dealing with terrain like that. Um, you, you know, and it, it I'm I'm kind of going on and on here, but uh, March seventh of last year, I was not on site, but um, you know, two two guys that 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 uh, I work with, they uh, they were in the machine and threw a charge out and, and got a size five. And it was just like, yeah, it was just kind of like, oh, wow. And, um, it, you know, I, I'd say it wasn't a big size five, um, which is kind of funny, but it was a huge avalanche. Um, and and really, I mean, it was like, well, you know, you know, how big is this thing? And, you, you know, you almost have to, we did, we backed off and, you know, started crunching numbers just to say, well, what's the mass? What's the volume in here? What do you think? You know, and, and that sort of thing. And it was like, wow. So, yeah it's been uh I hope that kind of paints a picture of some of the projects that that people engage in up here. I mean that one is kind of the you know it's right now it's kind of the, the biggie but but there's other programs out there that are you know engaging in in really wild terrain doing really wild stuff
1: yeah I think that painted a great picture greg and and it makes me think about man how much how much back work must be involved in, as you said, getting to know that area, getting to know those mountains and the terrain where these avalanches live. Um, and so I was curious, so you're doing quite a bit of active mitigation work at the Kamano site. I hope I said that right. Um, out of the helicopter, but you also have these Gazex installations. And so um, at some point, will the GazEx installations be enough to mitigate the avalanche hazard there? Or, or are these other uh, mitigation efforts going to be ongoing?
0: Well, it's, it's a combination. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we, the, the remote avalanche control systems that are out there, they're, they're just like any of, the, any of the types of them are amazing on mm-hmm. what they do. Um, we ended up going with, with a Gazex system in Kamano for a couple of reasons. One is is that you, we end up shooting a lot, um, and it, uh, having a big gas farm made a lot of sense. Um, the other thing that made sense was the, was the power of the three-cubic-meter gun. Um, that's, a, that's a powerful blast. Um, it's probably somewhere in the range of a you know, 12 to 14 kg bag of AMFO, um, which is good. Um you you want that. And um so we you know we we spent quite a bit of time with the layout um of that system. Uh the installation, we got super lucky. Um the, the company that, that uh did the install, uh they started their business their construction company, they started their business around the same time I started mine. Um they 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 those guys come from the Avalanche world as well. Um, but they're you know they're doing other things um we got lucky, we got lucky with the weather they they did a good job with the install and 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 it's in there now i think we fired last year we fired like 450 times with those 11 guns or something like that mm. it might be a little high it might be more like 420 or something like that i can't remember but um the the the, the opportunity that that racks give is 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 pretty next level um because you just have that 24 seven capability to, to do control. Mm -hmm. And when you're, you know, you're, especially when you're in a place that it, it's constantly precipitating, like you're next to the Pacific ocean, um, the North Pacific, um, you know, you can go for, you know, two, three weeks without getting a break in the weather to fly. And, and that's stressful of course, right? Like it's, it's, and I don't mean just fly around. I mean like get up in some of these start zones, that sort of thing. And and to be able to you know be like, well, the timing's right. You know, it's three three o'clock in the morning, and the timing's right. How are we going to deal with this thing? It's like, well, it's really nice just to open a computer and hit a button. You know, and uh, it's it, it. There's some beauty to that. It it the you know racks are also awesome because. You reduce worker risk. Um, you know the, the bottom line is, is that you know every time we fly in a helicopter, every time we're doing control work, you're exposing yourself and and while we all love it and, and uh, the, the risk is generally low, um, things can happen and have happened. Um, and so you're just you're reducing your worker risk and I, and I, I really think that that there's opportunity you know, there for, um, other folks. And it's, and I don't say that in a, a, you know, like, Ooh, I'm a consultant sales pitch. It's as, as somebody that's designed them. And then all of a sudden I, I'm in this position where I'm an operator as well. It's like, Oh, thank God. You know, I got, I got a, you know, half dozen people up there working. And it's just like, that's one less thing I got to deal with is, you know, thinking about it's like just a little bit of risk reduction is like, Oh, that's so nice. So yeah, it's good. We've got uh, one of the Gazex up there is in a money shot, and it's, uh, it, it's, it was positioned really, really well. And, and uh, if you let it build up, it, it'll, it, it produces – it's pretty amazing. Like you can fire that thing, and it'll pretty much at a minimum, you've got yourself a size 2, two and a half, and it, a size 3 is, is pretty regular. And then if you let it build up too much, you've you got to watch out because it'll go bigger.
1: What are some of the strategies that you all use for weather monitoring and snowpack monitoring for these, these start zones? Are you flying in and, and getting boots on the ground in there digging in the snow or, or you have instrumentation and and, any, yeah, with that project.
0: Yeah. That project, I mean, you know, all projects are different. Um, we've got, we've got some others that, you know, there's very little you're out in the middle of nowhere and there's, there's nothing. It's just, you know, a a study plot and, and, uh, manual observations and, and, you know, kind of getting out where, where you can, Mm -hmm. um, that the the bigger project there, the, the owner was willing to commit to installing weather stations. So we've got, um, we got three weather stations at different elevations in the Valley, um, which is, which is just awesome. You know, we've got one, um, at the work site, we got one at tree line and then we got one in the lower alpine. Um and then the the gas X, there's five control shelters, and and we can get some weather readings off those as well. Um we've got we've got uh, I mean each each control shelter record the the temperature and then um we had two anemometers. Um one of them seems to be surviving. The other one is just so much rhyme and wind it just destroys the anemometer. It's just a standard young anemometer, but it'll, you give it, well, I mean, it, it, it'll rhyme up in days and then you go up there and things ripped off and, you know, it's just destroyed. So, um, we haven't bothered replacing it. Um, but, uh, Yeah. We've got really, we got really, really good weather observations and then snow observations. You can do, you can ski tour uh, a bit, um, to get obs. And then we've got the helicopter as well, where we can fly out. Um, we've got a, we got a full-time machine on that job, which is, which is really, really nice. And you said you have, and there's full-time staff that's up there, your staff. That's right. There's, there's full-time staff. Um, and that, you know, that goes with a lot of these jobs. I mean, there's uh, there's mining jobs there's uh, there's pipeline there's a lot of pipeline work going on right now up in British Columbia um, you know that sort of thing and and they're they're worth a lot of money and so it's it's worth it for the owner to invest in an avalanche control program and you know keep full time staff mm-hmm. offering twenty four seven service to to frankly to facilitate work I mean it's it's uh, it's it's a safety program so your your job is worker safety. Um, but your, your job's also to, you know, to optimize that. So you can just like any highways program, you know, keep the road open, keep, keep those work sites open as long as you can. And so, you know, the budgets on some of these, these control programs can be pretty big, um, shockingly big actually, but it's, it's a, it's a drop in the bucket for, for the, you know, the overall cost of some of this work. I mean, some of these projects like you know, um, like the, there's one right now, the coastal gas link. Um, we're we're not involved with that one. There's others are, but I think the value of the coastal gas link, which is a natural gas pipeline is, I think it's like, it's 6 billion or something like that. So, you know, you can just imagine, it's just like, well, if you've got, a, you know, if you're spending over a million bucks a year on a control program, it's it's just not a big deal. It's just, it it's not a big deal for these guys. So, that's kind of that's that world well um, so we've got well go ahead i was just going to say it's true
1: it's certainly really behind the scenes stuff to ensure the flow of you know u- utilities commerce and and then in other realms outdoor recreation as well right
0: that's right and and it's um that that's absolutely true it's 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 just facilitating work to be performed um mm-hmm. uh, in the mountains and, you know, I mean, it's, it, it's, just as you would expect. I mean, it's, um, all of a sudden you've got, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of workers that are going to work in avalanche train. So what do you, you know, what are you going to do? And, um, it, it's like, well, okay, you've got your, you know, what we all know, well, forecast and control program, you do your thing, but you got worker training programs. Um, communication is key. You know, you've got an avalanche forecast that goes out, um, at least twice daily. Um, and, and anytime there's a change that's going out to everybody. So folks know what's going on and there's a danger scale associated with that. It might be a different danger scale than, than most people are used to. you know, it could be just a three level scale or a four level scale or a five level scale. And the, the definitions are, you know, the the definitions and the intent of them is, is a lot like the public scale, but the, the recommendations that are very different, you know, it's like the area is closed Mm. you know don't get out of your vehicle Mm. you know um those those sorts of things and so you've got that side of it and then you know you've got you you're putting transceivers on everybody you're you know you've got rescue caches around you know that sort of thing so all of a sudden you got this program where you've got you know 500 workers and you're like okay well we got to come up with you know 500 avalanche transceivers which is not hard to do the companies are happy to sell them to you like that but the you know, then you got to train everyone how to use them. Mm. And as you can imagine, I mean, some of these, some of these folks don't care, you know, they're just like, what is this thing? You know? And, uh, I mean, to be blunt, they could give two shits, you know? And, and so you're, you're just kind of, you just always, you know, kind of trying to balance that, educate people, tell them why it's important that there really is a hazard you know, hopefully there's a blue sky day and you're doing control and they can watch these things rip down the mountain. They can feel the, the shock wave of a bag of ampho going off, you know, just the, just in your face, like, this is why, you know, this is why it's important to pay attention. Um, you know, cause y- you are working in an avalanche path, um, you know, that, that sort of stuff. So,
1: Hey, Greg is, is you spoke about the industry hazard rating? I forget exactly how you stated it, but is that industry-wide or is that more of a project-specific thing that, that a consulting company such as Six Point would tailor for the specific project?
0: You know, um, they're tailored for specific projects. Uh-huh. I would say that, you know, each consulting company kind of has their own flavor and, um, and uh, you know, each project kind of has its, its own flavor. Um, as I said, like, you know, some some operations will use a three level scale and, you know, all the way up to the, you know, the, the BC ministry of transportation, they use a five level scale. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's, it's what you find is the most effective communication. Um, that's really the, you know, that's really the, the intent of it. Um, you know, perhaps there is room into the future of, of all getting together and standardizing that. I mean, there's, it, it certainly would, would help. I mean, a lot of these workers are, you know they're they're bouncing from job to job, and and it's 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 very common to work with somebody. You know, you got some guy on site. It's like, oh, I went through the avalanche training on this job and this job. You know, so any sort of standardization that we could do there would probably be a really good thing. Mm.
1: Boy, as you explain some of these projects and some of the things that are at stake and, and the longevity of these projects, it it just makes me realize how much you must rely on your team. And I'm just curious about some of the internal things that you and, and other team members that you employ utilize to, to make a safe work environment for you all and to make sure that you're seeing the, the, the whole picture and you're not missing a vital piece of information.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, it's with any, any team, you, you got to try to get the best talent you, you can get your hands on and and that's not easy you know i mean it's there's there's a lot of really good people out there and and uh, but they're not always available um in in building the team so far it's it's been uh, i've been successful in building a really good team i've i've had the opportunity of of hiring some really experienced folks from you know with mainly from ski area backgrounds um and and snow safety I mean, the snow safety directors for a lot of the major skis, um, they're, uh, I, I find that those groups of those individuals, um, they, they work really hard. Um, they're not always in it for the skiing, um, and they know how to, uh, go after avalanches, um, and, and mitigate the problem. Um, and, and I, I think it's important. So, um, I've, you know, I, I, I hired a gal, Ren McElroy. She, uh, she ran the, the, the whitewater program in Nelson here for a while. Uh, Mark Vesley ran the Fernie, uh, scary snow safety program, Chad Hempill Revelstoke mountain resort, snow safety program, and Jesse Percival from Mount Washington. And, um, and it's been, it's, it's been an honor, man. Like you, you, you see people, they all have different styles. Um, They, uh, their approach is, is, uh, you know, I mean, those different styles and their approaches are a bit different, but man, the talent that comes with that is, is is pretty next level. It's, it's pretty neat. And, you know, you you get to watch these people that have been in that scary environment often, you know, it's just a couple of areas or once one scary their entire career and move on something different or multiple jobs that are different. And it's, I think it's an opportunity for everyone as well to, you know, challenge themselves and, to move forward, Greg, care to share a a
1: story of a watershed moment in your career? Whether it was, um, you know, using one of your nine lives, <laughs> or, <laughs> or a lesson that was delivered
0: by the mountains or the snowpack. I mean, I think I, I think those of us in this business, um, and I consider myself kind of mid-career. I've been doing it for, you know. Uh, over 20 years, 20, this might be your 23, 23 for me. Um, I think any of us that have been doing this, uh, we, we definitely have had those watershed moments, um, where they're very real where you find yourself, um, sliding down the side of a mountain, um, or watching, you know, something blow over you. I, I had this moment early on that, that is really I've been reflecting on more and more, um, it goes back to when I was in in graduate school, and and I was was with Bruce and um, uh, another another friend of mine, graduate student. We started together. Um, we were we were at Rogers Pass, and we were going up the Connaught drainage. And that, that place didn't get skied a whole lot in those days, but hmm. there's a there's the first avalanche path that you you bump into is it's a real doozy. It's called the Grizzly Slide Path, and. And Bruce is talking about, you know, return periods and all this stuff. And it, you know, I don't, it just wasn't mature enough or could even grasp what that really meant, you know, it just, it went right over my head and I'm thinking, oh, that's just whatever, let's go. And, and later that winter, it, um, it was snowing to beat the band. It was really going hard and, and, um, we were going up the drainage and we got to the, the side of that path and there was a pile of a small pile of debris out in the fan and it it was you know it was somewhere in that like two and a half range and i'm standing there um and uh it was with alan jones actually we are standing there and he and another guy were like we're out of here and i'm going ah whatever and um so they ski off down into the you know the trees adjacent to the, the main run out and and, uh, I'm like, Ooh, you know, you kind of feel that alone feeling. And I, I bugger off and we're, uh, I go down and I see him and we're like, well, we're not going anywhere. Let's just eat some food. So we're sitting there having lunch and all of a sudden I just out of the corner of my eye. I see like the, the big, you know, snow bombs in the trees, those big Pacific Northwest type snow bombs. Um, They just, I just see one explode and then one goes straight up into the air. And it's just like in this powder cloud, just racing over us. And, uh, and you know, the path went big and it, it, it hit Canaw Creek and ran up the other side of the hourglass a little bit. And of course we get dusted pretty good. And, and I, you know, at the time it was just like, wow, like tail between my legs, you idiot. I think for me, that was kind of the first one where it was like, this is real. Mm. Um, this is, this is not a game. Um, and, and, uh, you know, since then, yes, there's been, you know, multiple close calls, uh, you know, that sort of thing. I think, I think those in the guiding world can really relate where you're, you know, you got your group out there, you're, you know, you're heli skiing or something and you're freewheeling around and you, you're sitting there on a slope and you know, damn well that you should not be there. You know, you've screwed up or you pushed it. And that just that feeling inside of your gut where you're like. Oh God, like, what have I done? Um, and you know, you, you get out of it and it's not because you're good or you got the sword and you can kind of dice your way out. It's just sheer luck, you know, that you didn't trigger something or somebody in your group didn't, you know, trigger something. Um, and I, I think, you know, you have enough of those and it really starts to, to shape your risk perception. And then, you know, moving into this industrial stuff, um, it, it's kind of the same where you, you don't you, you see these big events in that but you also see kind of like okay we just triggered an avalanche and it's running at a building you know like okay there's a building in the run out of this thing like we're trying to mitigate the the avalanche problem so it doesn't hit that building and you know that the consequence of it you know it could it could lead to something that's not fun and it, of course there's nobody in the building when you're doing control and that's all been dealt with. But you know, if you start destroying things, um, certain people might not understand that. Even, even if it's written in a contract or you're indemnified or whatever else, um, you know, the, the corporate world can get, can get kind of nasty at times too. People that are halfway around the world that don't really care what you do, they just see an opportunity to, you know, to, to, you know, to lay some consequence on another company to try to recoup costs. Um, you know, that sort of stuff um, is shaping me uh, a bit now these days. Yes,
1: yeah, certainly sounds like high stakes stuff out there for you, Greg. How do you deal with
0: any stress
1: that <laughs> that may arise?
0: Um, you know, I think with like that, that's a really good question. And I, I think uh, at times I do OK with it and at times I really struggle with it. And, you know, the, the folks that I work with, I think, see that um, where it's like, Whoa, he's like, that's, that's really stressful. Um, and you know, I, I, uh, I, I, I feel bad. You had a gal on, on one of your shows, a few back, um, that was, you know, uh, talking about the mental side of things. And, um, I, I really got a lot out of that and made me realize that, wow, a lot of this stuff is, you know, I'm like mentally injured, I think for, you know, portions of the winter. And I, I don't say that lightly. I, um, and I don't say that like, Oh, there's a, there's a big problem there. It's just, you know, that like the, the stress can, it can get to you. Um, and so, you know, I think I'm, I, I may be learning to, you know, give myself some more space, um, not work 24 seven, um, and enjoy, you know, friends and family, um take moments for myself, you know, uh get my skateboard out and, and and go do something totally different. Um, you know, that that sort of stuff.
1: Yeah, I think Laura McGladry used the term decision-making fatigue and that really kind of stuck with me. Um, yeah, cer- certainly a challenge to 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 deal with that during a busy winter.
0: It's true and I mean her her interview with you, I, I found that pretty next level. Um, it it was really insightful, and I, I I would encourage a lot of people, a lot of folks that are that are in this game to 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 listen to that. And um, I think we're learning a lot about how we are as people. You know, it's, it's it how we deal with stress, how we decision making, fatigue. Um, you know, of course, that all ties back into our current pandemic situation as well. Um, but it it's uh i think it's really important to start recognizing some of that stuff Um, so you can recognize it in yourself but also other team members and you can you can help people out you know and others can help you out
1: yeah i think it's a i think the tide is changing within the industry it used to be kind of a badge and honor to just you know bite your lip a little bit and go back to work and and put your head down and and, um, you know, I think we can all be probably better, safer workers, professionals, recreators, if we slow down to reflect a little bit. So, uh, really, absolutely, really, good point there, Greg, you know, we keep talking about how some of the work you do is super high stakes and, but I can imagine how maybe like some wrong math might have severe consequences. Talk a little bit about, um, more of the engineering of some of your projects.
0: Yeah, for sure. The you know, it's interesting you bring that up. Like the wrong math. I mean, characterizing snow avalanches with with numbers is is uh, is messy. You know, we uh, you know we've got our models out there that parameterize avalanches grossly, um, even the ones with pretty graphics. Um, they do some things well and a lot of things not so well. Um, so a lot of that comes back to judgment and and how you you know your experiences with snow avalanches and um it's something that that up north here in canada there's the, the i would say that the the engineering consultants out there um we hold a bit of pride and we're all in agreement that that's a it's just a hard requirement you got to have you got to have miles and in industry experience and i don't mean industry like you know construction industry experience as we've been talking about i mean like he, you know, you've got to have worked in the ski areas or highways or guiding or or something like that for a number of years to really get, you know, get the game. What does a snow avalanche do? You know, um, how are those characters different? You know, you, you know, how does a, you know, how does a, 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 you know, when you, when you trigger an avalanche with an explosive and it's running dry and you know that it's going to run out where it's wet, like, how is that really going to work? How is it? you know, what is the extreme run out of these things? You know, is it, you know, you know, I think you really need to get into, um, that side of it and you have to go travel around too and, and see the anomalies. Um, you know, there's, there's some anomalous events that have happened out there and they certainly, you know, will shape the way that you make recommendations to your clients. I mean, for those in Utah, go up to wood camp sometime in Northern Utah, um, and and it'll blow you away what happened in 1986 up there a relatively small piece of terrain went wall to wall and it created a massive avalanche i mean massive and and it ran out the alpha angle on that thing is something like you know 13 14 degrees which is really low mm. and um there's another one that occurred up here in in 2009 um, not that far north of nelson I mean, it, it just a you know, real wild depth or layer that formed early season. And then it started hammering snow. This avalanche, it, it initiated in dense timber, mature, you know, n- you know, mature dug fir type timber. And it started mowing trees out right away. Like not even a, not even a, like, Oh, here's an open glade. But the thing just started going and ripping trees out. Like, how do you, you know, how do you plan for stuff like that? And those are the big questions and you really got to sit there and, 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 and ponder that and go, okay, you know, what, what am I recommending to, to my client? That's where I, I think having some experience, you know, like, right, right, right. Be, having you gotta, seen those events, those anomalous events, and- having going and seeing those anomalous events, working in the mountains day to day will help you apply numbers. And, you know, it, it's, uh, I, I just fundamentally think that's, that's super important. And then it'll, you know, when you, when you show up to, you know, a ski area, let's say, and you're, you're, you're saying, okay, we're going to, you know, they're like, Hey, we want to, we want to put some racks in here. You know, we want to, we, we want to do that. Like we were just, just put a, an Obelix in and in, in Fernie. Um, and it's like, you know, you're working with very experienced, uh, crews of people, um, you know, the ski patrol, uh, in places like that, they've done control work. Some of them have done control work and that starts on for 40 years. Mm-hmm. Like, and, and they're looking at you going, we you know, where do, you know, where do we put this? And you're going, well, it, you know, the place where you want your bang to go. Um, you know, what, what I'm trying to do is, is figure out, okay, what kind of snow creep and glide forces are going to be on this thing? Um, you know, what, what foundational requirements are there, You know, how big, you know, how big do we think that, you know, an avalanche will be when it runs, when it runs around the mast of one of these structures, Um, you know, and and you can't get that by just by just knowing the equation. Mm. You can look it up in the, you know, some of the Swiss guidelines and stuff, but knowing how to apply that or at least thinking, you know, how to apply that, you know, um, I think goes goes a long way. Um, again, I think it all comes back to applying yourself in as many diverse areas as you can to, to gain perspectives on, on what things can do. And as we all are very aware, um, snow and avalanches will continue to surprise us. There's always going to be this stuff where you're like, I didn't expect that. Um, I didn't expect that to happen. I've never seen anything like that before. And, and that goes from a slope specific decision to some of these, you know, you know, planning for these, these big extreme events. Mm -hmm.
1: So in in the ski guiding context, we could build margin into our day just through terrain and choosing to avoid certain terrain. Um, when you're implementing one of your projects, what, how do you build margin for error into that?
0: Well, I mean, it's, that's a, that's a difficult thing to do because the the, the pressure to you know keep workers going mm-hmm. is immense, and it's analogous to highways operations that are like don't shut that road, man. Mm-hmm. Um, but what you got to do is is you know at times you know you need to overcompensate to to achieve that ob- objective. Um, maybe you got to do more control work when you're when you're when you have the window to do it. Um, maybe you got to extend that closure a little bit. Um, you're always looking for these little angles to give you a, a leg up. And cause as we know, like if you don't do that, it's gonna, you know, it, it's gonna beat back on you pretty hard. Mm. Um, and it, and, and as we all know as well, like sometimes there, there's not much you can do. The mountains are going to do their thing. Um, you know, you, you're not gonna, you're not, you know, you might be able to knock the legs out of it a little bit, but it's still gonna definitely do its thing.
1: Right. And I'm sure a decent budget helps. It seems like you guys got quite a few toys to play with out there.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, uh, a decent budget definitely helps. Um, as we all know, um, hoping that we can help, uh, some of our ski areas and that under, you know, come to the realization that they, they should probably be thinking a little bit more about, you know, racks and, you know, that sort of thing. Um, in Canada, the first racks is going in right now. This Obelux I was, I was mentioning is going in Inferni. That's the only one that we've got at Iskiri in Canada. Hmm. And, um, and I, I, just think there's a lot of room for, there's a lot more, there's a lot of room for, for more of that sort of stuff. And, I mean that from a worker safety standpoint, but I also mean that from an opening standpoint. Like if you can, if you can quickly, you know, hit a button and you've done control in a certain area and that allows you to open up a whole nother side to your hill, there's value there. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, there's just value there.
1: Well, Greg, uh, I really appreciate you taking the time and giving us a glimpse in, into your work up there in BC. It um, sounds like uh super intriguing projects that you get to take Take part of. It sounds like interesting challenges every day. I'm sure, um, but uh, we we appreciate you giving a glimpse into the type of work that you've taken on, and and it sounds like a great life you're living out there.
0: Yeah, it's it's certainly an adventure. It's it's been fun, and you know uh, we'll see where it it takes us. Um, you know the the consulting world we we live in is a bit of feast or famine. Um, and uh, you know, hopefully, hopefully things keep keep spinning. I mentioned your
1: website before, um, and people can find that at the number six p o i n t e n g dot com. There's some great images on there and some videos. Are you guys on the social media? Can people follow these projects? Any any other places to find out more information?
0: Yeah, we are on social media. Um, you know, we 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 certainly you we know, don't post a lot, um, mm-hmm. but we you know, it's, it. we're on the Instagram side of things. Um, just some, some photos here and there of, of the work that we do. Um, people can check it out.
1: Awesome. Well, we hope you guys have a great safe winter up there. Uh, hopefully lots of snow and less COVID
0: and all the best. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks a lot. And, and wish the best for, for everybody else as well. And, and hopefully the, covid thing we can get a handle on it at some point and and of course everyone knows our borders are shut so we can uh we can start coming and going again
1: right right all right all the best greg cheers cheers well it sounds like those are some pretty amazing projects that greg and his team is working on um and i'm sure it's Quite humbling to see some of those larger running avalanches in some big, big terrain or tiger country, as Greg called it. Um, thanks for thanks for sharing those experiences with us, Greg. Um, I know I got a lot out of that interview, and uh, I appreciate your time. If you've been enjoying the podcast, please tell a friend. If you're really enjoying it and you want to take it a step further, go over to Apple Podcasts and rate and review the show there. Don't forget to tag us in an Instagram post. We are at the Avalanche Hour Podcast. Tag us by the 15th to be entered to win a brand new Primo Snow and Avalanche El Profesional Snowsaw. We'll announce the winner on March 15th. Of course, our artwork was created by Mike T. You demand T. For any of your illustration or artwork needs, go check out T. You can get to his website by typing in www.miket.com in your web browser. Check out some of the other great artwork that he's done, logos that he's created, and get in touch with him for any artwork needs. Theme music for this episode was written and created by Chris Kaplinski. Thanks for your contribution, Chris. Appreciate you. Until next time, stay tuned, stay safe. And keep having fun out there. Cheers.